0: one of the big cryptocurrencies, huge adoption effects. I remember the existential crisis over the summer, well, it's never going to last. And I looked at it then, and I thought, I can see the developer activity, I can see where they're going. There's a lot coming out of this, and you know, it, it has done reasonably well coming out of that. But what I really want to know is what's actually going on, from the launching of the phone, to new chains, from other chains moving across onto Solana, to also their movements with NFTs and how they can do NFTs at scale. I think there's a lot of innovation going on. And I really want to catch up to find out how this all affects the Solana ecosystem and how it fits into crypto more broadly. The world of crypto is an incredibly exciting journey that we're all going on together. We don't know where it's leading to, but we know it's going to be absolutely massive. Join me, Ralph Powell, as I guide you on our adventure to discover just what this new world will look like. Anatoly, good to see you back on Real Vision. Um, thanks for having me. Um, I think I checked. The last time we chatted was September last year. There's been a lot happening, uh, Nothing, particularly in Solana. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's been... The, the most boring six months in crypto, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've gone from the entire space having an existential threat to um, a massive rally You know, from the lows as well. But look, I wanted to catch up with you because you know I have a cl- very close eye on, on Solana and the ecosystem, and you, you guys are doing a lot. And I think it's really, really interesting to talk through some of the things you've got going on. So I think the first one that I really wanted to talk through is Saga, the mobile stack, and everything that's happening there, because you're now in launch phase. So really interested to hear your thoughts, what you're up to, and where you think it's going. Yeah, we
1: launched. The hardware's here. You can see it. It's real. Um, it, and it, real devices are being shipped to people all over the world. So it's been really exciting to get, like, go from an idea to a physical hardware product. That's the pinnacle, I think, of hardware today is a phone, right? It's a device you use every day. People are very sensitive about the build quality, the screen touch kind of tactile feeling, all, all of that stuff, right? We're all used to having these devices to be like exceptionally well done. And the response has been like overwhelmingly positive. So I'm really excited that like the product is good. Um, yeah, and they're being shipped. We're awesome. The company that built these, um, folks don't know, it founded by Jason Keats, who's, a, who's the architect of iPad Pro. He's a super hardware nerd. Um, they've done just a phenomenal, job on the on the build quality i think this is the best android device out there and uh we are getting a ton of requests for applications i think it's over 20 already in the app store ios launched with 15 apps when when the iphone launched so we just needed to cover that many (laughs) and uh yeah we're we're
0: getting like things are moving why did you start the crazy path of going down the hardware route being a blockchain And then thinking, you know, why the hardware route? I mean, it's a great idea.
1: I spent most of my career at Qualcomm. So I was there from, like, early flip phone days until, like, my team was uh, in the advanced technology group was, like, working to enable, like, the first augmented reality device, like, in in a phone form factor. So, like, I was there from, like, phones can barely do ringtones to like phones are now everything. <laughs> uh, and it was a really cool and exciting time. And I kind of, as soon as I got into crypto and I, as soon as I started working on it, it just became obvious to me that every phone in the world is going to have to be hardware wallet at one point or another. Um, that's just inevitable. And the technology to do that, interestingly enough, I had I no, my, Close friends worked on that to enable that, like the ability for this phone to prevent Android from seeing what's on the screen for like a secure display from prevent from the operating system from seeing your touch inputs on the keyboard, like a secure keyboard to the signing, like the signing secure element, which is stored in a, a, they were like defending it against electron microscope scoping, (laughs) like attacks, (laughs) like scraping it, like really crazy stuff. All that stuff is here. It was already basically, this technology was already there, you know, in 2017. So I just immediately thought that eventually every phone in the world is going to be, have to be a hardware wallet, like equivalent capability. So we, I met kind of, I started asking like, you know, investors and friends, like, hey, what if we built a phone? Do you guys know anyone that knows the OEM side of the business? And I talked to like a bunch of the big companies and eventually met Jason Keats, who is himself. He was like employee one or two at Essential, which is like an Android startup that built awesome devices. Worked at at Apple and wanted to build uh, a phone himself. So we kind of melded minds like, okay, we can build a, you know, kind of like the Tesla Roadster of Android phones, it's an awesome device, but it's also, I think needs like a soul, you know, like it has to have something that isn't just Android. And I think part of that is it has to be web three and crypto and getting developers excited about um, an open app store and getting users excited about like hardware security for their self custody. And I think the combination of those things are create really, really cool, user experiences for web3 um there's videos of like phantom they're working on um like we added like a couple features to make the experience even better than it is today where you can look at their video it's like just like apple pay a little slider from phantom like slides up from the bottom to the you know halfway to the screen you tap the fingerprint scanner in the back it signs and like transaction goes through like almost instantly on in solana um, as fast as apple pay like if you compare it it's like it's as good that, that to me is really, really cool. And you have that, those kind of wonderful user experiences with hardware security and like a real app store for Web3. I think that's kind of like the start of it, you know.
0: And are you thinking that it's only going to be Solana or it will be Web3 native in however it works?
1: This is a huge undertaking and a lot of, and very risky, like implementation wise, not just People hate the product don't buy. It. That's just one thing. But like, even just execution is massive undertaking. So we basically cut all features except what's necessary to to ship. Um, which meant we're not experts on Ethereum and Bitcoin and all these other networks. So we just basically just ship Solana. But we're adding support for Curves, for Bitcoin, for Ethereum, for all these other networks. And then people will be able to write wallets and interact with the interact with the seed uh, the seed vault and sign Bitcoin transactions in the same way. And like, you know, we don't really care. Like from my perspective, I'm um, I'm more of an open source maximalist than I am <laughs> even the <a> Solana maximalist. <laughs>
0: and, and how do you integrate Solana within that as being like the core tech for some of this as well? Cause obviously you don't just wanna have a web three phone. You want a phone, yes, it helps the whole ecosystem but it needs to lead, weave Solana into its kind of core infrastructure.
1: You don't actually need to weave that much. What I want is actually like whatever APIs that we need for wallets to be able to have that like awesome UX for signing, whether it's interpayment and stuff like that. I want that to be open. Like the problem is, is like when you look at like the Google ecosystem, even though Android is open, GMS and like Google Pay are closed sandboxes. So you can't plug in your own payments infrastructure into into the Google Mobile Stack. Um, you can't plug in your own App Store uh, like through their APIs in the open in the open world. You have to work with an OEM to do that. So like same thing with Apple. Apple's even worse, right? There's if we could <laughs> if we could like ship a iOS device with changes, we would totally do it, but zero chance of that happening. If you try, they will come after you. <laughs> like <it's, laughs> so like that, that that's the problem, right? It's like, but what we want is this thing to be open and whatever API Solana needs, Solana itself is open. So everything's open source. Everyone else will be able to plug in their own infrastructure if they want to. And kind of, and this could be an open platform for a lot of users, obviously because we're shipping We're experts in Solana. Things are probably going to move faster. Features are going to be added faster on Solana. But like if there's, you know, whoever else, like the Tezos team gets really, really excited about it and wants to work with us, we'll definitely like, you know, the book is already open, but we'll like help them. we'll unblock them wherever we can.
0: Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. And how are you finding the industry, you know, the other other wallet providers or just other people in the industry, how they, the NFT marketplaces and all of this stuff. Yeah. What's what's their reception so far? People definitely get
1: it. Like everyone in the industry gets it. There's this kind of, for folks that don't understand why it's so, such a pain in the ass to work with the big app stores. It really goes back to, I think, what people think of software and digital goods in general. Like you can't really buy a copy of Windows in a box and like own it and then give it to your friends right? or sell it on eBay. Can't really do that anymore. You sort of can. But like with Windows, you barely can. You definitely can't do that with like a video that you buy on Amazon or like a you know, song on iTunes. You don't actually own that di- digital content, even though you bought it and it says, you know, buy to own. You don't actually own it. You can't transfer it. There's no markets for it. Right, so these are goods that you're effectively renting from these giant kind of conglomerates, and that means that their models for their business models are designed around extracting like value from that rent. And the way that that works is that if you own the content and you're on iOS, you can sell the content to all the folks that have Apple devices, and Apple lets you do that, but they want 30% of that, and 30% is an insane tax. It's a massive sales tax, right? It's like absurd. <laughs> uh there would be a revolution, right? Like there were the revolutions are started over lower taxes than that. <laughs> so so it's a massive, massive tax, but all the content producers are able to pay it because they own the content and they're renting it to their users. So they don't really care. Like they they get more revenue, more profit, so they're willing to do it. But with Web3, the Marketplaces don't own the content. Magic Eden doesn't own any of the NFTs. They can't add a 30% tax in the iOS mobile experience and charge their iOS users 30% more or eat that cost themselves because that would wipe out their profits. Their their fee is like two, 3% and people argue about that, but (laughs) it's literally 10 times less than that, right? So that's kind of the fundamental problem is that like the business models are set up around like users not like renting the content and the value extraction coming from that instead of content truly beyond by users and freely tradable and exchangeable that's that's really i think the heart of web three so we need an app store to enable you like developers to be basically do whatever they want to do like magic in just to even have like a simple like you know nft storefront and mobile they need an app store like this and um, is this Available globally so far, or is it just U.S.? It's globally, yeah. It's, it's basically like the bottlenecks there are like certification. And we've gone through all the easy ones. I think it's like 40 countries or something like that. And there's some that are very huge pain in the butt, like South Korea. Basically, have to be Samsung to get <laughs> certification through. In India, you have to make the phone. In India, there's some ways to kind of get like the final pieces put together there and stuff like that. So like, um, but this is also kind of an expensive device. We wanted to build um, a device that was, when people got it, that they were like inspired, like it's really good build quality. They kind of can see the vision. Like, okay, this is not just some... It has to compete with an iPhone and its quality. Yeah. Feel. Right. It has to. For like the early adopters, I think it has to. I think the opportunity possibly could come from a much cheaper mass market device that then also earns rewards at scale for things like Helium, for things like HiveMapper, you know, like like that could be, I think, really transformative for the world if you have a device that's effectively free, but also kind of gives you like five, 10 bucks a month, right? <laughs> that could even cover effectively like your Helium,
0: you know, like data rate at that point. And what's the price point right now for it? It's a thousand bucks. It's a thousand bucks, right. And have you... Looked at what phones most of the kind of Web three community use right now outside of India and others, but you know in the Western world, are you having to move people across from an iPhone environment? It's a split, actually. Like in the US, so sixty to seventy percent
1: use iOS, and outside of the US, it's closer. There's actually more Android devices. So uh, Apple has like pretty it's pretty dominant in the United States and a lot of users in US are like, you know, religious about it. But I don't think I've ever seen anyone tweet except for this device that they're willing to switch from iOS. So a lot of people actually care more about crypto than they do about Apple, which is kind
0: of interesting. (laughs) Yeah, although you know, everything I've got is integrated in Apple. So the only way it works for me is and most a lot of people who have this is just two phones. Is that one for your web three life because it makes it easy because it's a nightmare otherwise. So if you solve making it easy and then you can still keep your Apple Music and everything else elsewhere. The
1: thing is, like, this is a Google-enabled phone too. It has GMS and all the services. So if you're like me, I have an iPhone that has, they use Chrome for my browser, use Gmail for my mail app, it's Google Maps generally for Maps. Like, you kind of, like, when you make the switch, the only difference is, like, which way you got to slide up to find apps. That's, that's really... <laughs> that. That's about it. So for, like... For a lot of users that are, I'd say, like, don't use the defaults on iOS, I think the switch is basically
0: negligible. So, there's another big thing I want to talk to you about, which is the compression of NFTs that you've just rolled out, which I think is a really fucking big deal. Talk us through it and what you're thinking with it. So, this was um, a really cool ecosystem
1: wide effort. Uh, it was some folks from labs worked on the smart contract. A lot of folks from Metaplex worked on the spec and like the, the rest of the kind of application side and a bunch of the infrastructure providers like Helium and like Helios, not Helium and Triton and like built the indexers to, to do this. And the underlying technology is um, pretty old, I would say, as far as crypto is concerned. Uh, you even actually have seen it in, in Bitcoin. Uh, it's called a stateless accumulator. And in Bitcoin, there's an implementation called the u xo if you ever heard of that. So these are ways for um, basically, you're kind of conceptually, if you want to think about it, you're trading the state space for ledger. So ledgers are actually cheaper to store because they're on disk. They don't need to be accessed immediately for consensus. Like when you do execution of smart contracts, you don't need to like you can't typically historic look look back uh, in history. You get access to the recent state, but not the rest of the history. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So so the stuff that you have in the most immediate state, that's the most expensive state that you can have in, in a smart contract platform. So the way stateless accumulators work is you store a Merkle root or some kind of accumulator, could be other fancy cryptographic thing, but. Merkle roots work great, that's what we use. They're very simple and very fast. And then you track updates and changes to that Merkle root through transactions that post the proof to the state and then the new state, and it recomputes the proof and updates the Merkle root. So all the information you need to reconstruct the root and the entire kind of tree is in the ledger. So if you play it back, you can reconstruct the entire tree, but it's not stored in that immediate state. So indexers like Helios and Triton and all these other folks as they're playing the ledger for their RPC infra they produce all these witnesses and stuff and they maintain a larger portion of the state and serve it to the users like Magic Eden and so forth but validators that are running the chain and doing all this consensus work don't have to store that entire thing in the immediate in like in RAM effectively right in that really fast accessible storage can get put on tape drives for all we care Right. <laughs> so like that that's really, I think, the trade off and that dramatically cuts costs on the the amount of like how, how much it costs to actually update and store and deal with these things. So the price to mint NFTs is now the cost of just sending a transaction and modifying a state route. That state route is very cheap, doesn't allocate any more state once you allocate that tree and it becomes... Uh, about uh the cost drops to like about 130 150
0: bucks to mint to a million nfts so that changes the game for nfts i think because we all know that nfts are not just about art pfps and everything else is you know it's a contract that can now operate at scale for low cost ticketing all this stuff where are you thinking this is going and who's getting interested in this cuz i think it's a huge breakthrough where i think like the early adopters of this have been um like it's still
1: Solana smart, smart like applications, but one that's really interesting is Dialect. They're basically like built a messaging app in that messaging experience. Every sticker pack that you use in messaging is it's an NFT and they constantly do mint, and people collect all these NFTs from all these like famous creators and stuff and trade them. And it, the user is not aware of the gas costs. Like in the UX, you're sending like a smart message where I can request an NFT from you or send you a payment, like you would send cash in iOS, right? If you ever use their, their like cash application and then that user experience, the user just sees that message. They click the button to sign. It like all happens behind the scenes. There's no gas. You're not dealing with this complex thing. Okay. What am I supposed to pay? How much? Like, It just happens magically. It feels like a Web2 app, but everything is trustless like all the, all the actual ownership, everything else, everything is done with self custody. It's really, really cool. So like that kind of user experience, I think is enabled by this massive price reduction. The other one that's also in the similar vein is called Drip House. They've minted, I think over a million of these compressed NFTs, some, something around that order. Um, and they're kind of running a subscription service for like NFT users. So you get like mints every week, um, when people get these nfts from all sorts of other artists uh and they've minted over a million and that's been pretty cool i think their estimation is they've onboarded like 150,000 humans like people in in like about a you know a span of like three four months it's been really really cool so for them that price reduction allowed them to just scale up how many of these nft drops they're doing um but obviously there's also other use cases so every hotspot that helium had on their original layer one they announced that they're moving to solana the way that they implemented that is that every hotspot is a compressed nft they minted a million nfts for every hotspot it costs them a few hundred bucks (laughs) and now it it's all that all that state is tracked on solana all the ownership and everything else And, And like that's a really really practical application that is kind of becomes a no-brainer, I think, for effectively logistics companies or anyone else that's tracking a, you know, like needs a system to track a whole bunch of like distributed crowdsourced hardware. Um, So stuff like that, I think is pretty exciting to have happened, I think, in the last couple of months. And this is only, you know, we launched this thing like two months ago.
0: Hey everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's
1: where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America a member FDSE. Yeah, my, my view is in, I've been thinking <laughs> NFTs and are really the solution for ticketing and secondary markets and getting rid of the ticket scalps and all of that stuff. We've seen to play around with a lot of this stuff. It just feels like now with something like this and this cheap it can be tickets for anything it can be literally oh, for tickets sure. for anything and that's a game changer because then you onboard tons of people to web three without even realizing it's web three because everybody has a ticket for something
1: for sure yeah Ticketmaster has like kind of a crazy monopoly in tickets so that
0: one's uh, that's a hard tough not not to crack well they're doing stuff in nfts right now i mean they're giving away nfts i mean they're and they've used different a couple of different chains already. So, you know, they're
1: all looking. That would be like, yeah. So for them to scale up, you know, give away 100 million NFTs or something like that a year,
0: Solana would be the place to do it. We've seen uh, some early- Well, I'm just thinking it just replaces the physical ticket. They've got a digital wallet. It probably costs them about the same cost to, to, to process the ticketing, but it means that they get a secondary market in the tickets and they could have a marketplace and they get to control a lot. It's quite different. The challenge there, I think, is like
1: how much like there's always tension between centralized companies and decentralized ones in terms of how to use this technology, because the you can use it in a very controlled way where you're running effectively like co-signing every transaction and allow only the transfers that you want to allow. But the natural ethos of every like Web3 builder is that we're building digital assets that are freely transferable and freely tradable. And that, that's always like that tension
0: between like these big centralized companies. Yeah, but I think that's solvable because, you know, again, with something like ticketing at scale, music tickets, sports tickets, is you just create a marketplace where now you and I could sell. I'm sure there might be a royalty in the smart contract as there is with the standard NFT. Ticketmaster gets paid for the transfer But we're now free because I can't go to the game. I want to sell my ticket instantly. I don't have to go to a tout outside the stadium, pay a 50% spread. And it just becomes very efficient. And it's decentralized in that matter. Sure, the issuing isn't, but then the spread of it is. You know, I looked at hotel rooms. That's another one I've looked at. It's another thing where, you know, you, I will have gone to cancel hotel rooms at the last minute. You lose all the money. The hotel doesn't like it because you're not in the bar drinking a glass of wine, eating a burger. And if you could just have them as nfts they become transferable um and that solves everybody's problems for sure everything's a market (laughs) (laughs) really everything is a market isn't it yeah (laughs) so um yeah i I think it's going to be interesting how much activity does it create on chain so at kind of protocol layer humans create very little activity it's barely like you can't
1: you can't even tell (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but meaning, you know, if you're issuing millions of NFTs, is it creating a lot of demand for for Solana itself, for Sol itself, or it's because it's very efficient, it's batched?
1: No, even like the problem is like, so Solana does like 30 million transactions per day, 90% of them from applications alone, 90% of them come from Oracle updates and market makers, so that are machine driven. So they're like market making like central limit order books. And then like adding one more million issuance per day is just like one or 2% more growth, right? And that, <laughs> the, the problem there is that like the amount of traffic that's generated by human activity is always going to be much, much smaller than like machine automated, like robot activity where they're basically like, you know, trying to extract value out of one penny transactions and stuff like that through arbitrage in these markets. So I really suspect that the scale that's being added to all of these chains for parallel processing, like from handling, you know, vast amount of transactions across many different parts of state, it's mostly gonna be eaten up by like effectively machine automated arbitrage and that kind of thing. That, does, that doesn't mean that the chain's gonna be expensive or congested, it's just that there's gonna be some lower bound floor price, you know, that all these machines will take advantage of and that you as a person, Like right now on Solana, I think the fee per transaction is one thousandth of a penny. You as a person can pay one hundredth of a penny and not even care, but you will be prioritized 10 times more than every machine.
0: (laughs) The other big thing you've got going on is these projects migrating onto Solana like Helium. Yeah. Talk talk us through that as well, because that's another really fascinating development where people are kind of abandoning their original thing and then joining up with you guys to use your tech stack. So this is a lot of work to build a layer one blockchain and a lot of people knew that going
1: into this and needed a something more scalable than what existed before. So, you, you know, go back to like 2017, Ethereum um, was even less scalable than it is now. Um, and, if you know, there were no layer two technologies. Like the only thing you could do is to actually, you know, take Tendermint and go roll your own chain. So a lot of folks did that and when you actually get to a certain scale like helium did tracking a million devices on a kind of your standard roll your own blockchain it's quite expensive like um internally operationally wise um because it's a complex technology you have to have like a really smart team of dedicated engineers that are constantly unblocking all the bottlenecks in these systems making them cheaper faster and at some point you realize that like that's not your core business you know, for them, they care about wireless technologies, right? They'd rather have those engineers working in 5G, things like that. And that is our core business. I love, <laughs> I love making blockchains cheaper
0: and faster. <laughs> and you also know the telephone business, the, the phone business as well. So it kind of works for you perfectly, right? Yeah, I mean, I would rather work on blockchain than radio protocols.
1: <laughs> <vertical>, so <laughs> I know exactly what I want to work on. So my, that, that's kind of natural occurrence. I think you'll see some consolidation. There's a couple designs that make sense in in the space. Um, Solana's one. I think Ethereum's like layer two models another design. That's like, it's like a nice, you know, there's Pareto efficient trade-offs between all of them. If you pick one that you're optimizing for one thing, I think Ethereum is valid. I think Solana is, is, is a pretty good one, obviously. Um, so people gravitate towards one or the other in my, in my view. It's so
0: funny. we're going to see more of these smaller projects that had their own chains just migrate across onto the, bigger faster better supported chains so they can focus on their business and not worry about yeah blockchain. if they're hitting
1: scale like helium did like with you know hundreds of thousands of users millions of assets being tracked um, it becomes a big undertaking to to run your own you could, you could always use tendermint for small-scale projects I mean that's battle tested awesome technology it's kind of like you know think of Apache from the 90s like I want to roll my own website I'm gonna spin up Apache and not worry about it. It's single server with with like CDB or something simple <laughs> or SQLite. That's like a probably the most dominant website, like the way to run a website right now still, right? <laughs> but at some point you hit a certain amount of scale that, you know, if you have to hire specialists in that field to, you know, maintain your databases and maintain that technology, you're probably doing it wrong. You know, like, cause there's, Open source solutions like Solana that are, you know, we have a
0: all, our entire team is full of specialists, and that's all we do day in day out. Yeah, because I think some people thought that the value was going to accrue in the chain for a project like that, and so therefore, because they could issue a token, I think they're now realizing that actually it can stand on its own. An applications layer on top of blockchain can can accrue its own value and doesn't need to have a chain itself. I don't think a layer one can accrue
1: value from its inefficiencies. I think that's just not gonna last. That's to anyone that's like true believer in capitalism, right? Like, I, especially when you have something like open source software, right? It's a technology that anyone can improve and fork and build upon. It's going to become efficient very, very rapidly. So I don't think layer ones will be able to accrue value by being inefficient. They have to be optimally efficient at something and then have some
0: other means to accrue value. Do you think, I'm starting to think through that this is probably gonna be the last wave of layer ones that we see, you know, this, this next phase. There's a few more to come. We just had Aptos, we've got Sui, we've got a few others. And then it feels like, do we need any more layer ones? I think you will always see with
1: every kind of, with every step function and technology, you should see new operating systems, new databases, new layer ones.
0: The world doesn't work that way in the in the fact that they don't actually always get traction because people, you know, traction's sticky. It's weird. Everyone would have thought you don't need any more operating systems after
1: Windows. But there was a use case that uh, they couldn't fit into, which was running, you know, an OS on everything, which Linux and like BSD and whatever family of operating systems fit really, really nicely. And you will see like, you know, you know, you can think of Moore's Law as every 20 years, it's a thousand X difference. And it's really, really hard to predict what a thousand X means. Like, <laughs> it, it's just like really, really tough, right? So I believe we will see, we will always see some some innovation, both in databases and, and like operating systems and layer one blockchains. Um, but whether they will get the same kind of traction, that's probably true,
0: unless there's some paradigm shift or it's a specific use case, like derivative markets, or something like that. Because it's very hard otherwise, once you've got a broad ecosystem, where you can use all sorts of functionality applications, and there's a big developer group. If not, it's hard. It's very hard to compete with Windows on desktop,
1: right? You're not going to build another Windows. (laughs) But Linux found its niche, right? So you have to kind of I think you'll likely see that, like, happening, like, specialized niches being discovered by by new different implementations.
0: And so do you think that you're going to see more migration of projects coming onto Solana and away from their own Layer 1s?
1: Yeah, so render to, like, they didn't run on Layer 1, but they also want to migrate to Solana because they want kind of the same cheap, fast transactions to handle a larger set of devices and, and data sets on-chain. So... I'm hoping, right? Obviously, this is what we built Solana for. But as we see, I think crypto will definitely have traction in infra and like in, in like kind of crowd-based or whatever you want to call it, large-scale coordination of infrastructure like Helium and Render. Like, I think it's obviously better than doing the stuff with like a, a giant corporation that has to go get like do all the stuff on its own. It's actually like, you know, uh, way more efficient, like resource wise and things must, like deploy and move much faster this way. So I think traction will definitely be there. So I think my my view is that like a lot of these projects should run on Solana because of how cheap we can guarantee the uh, the fees to be and, and access to state and stuff like that.
0: It also feels like, and I know this is a, you know, it's one of these trendy things to say, but it feels that ai and blockchain are coming together and it feels like it's an obvious way to both allocate and pay for um compute resources is just using a, a token system it depends so there's like the big question is
1: ai is ai will always going to be expensive it's like kind of an unknown question um, that's never really happened to in technology before, right? Like we went, we rapidly.
0: No, it just goes like this always.
1: Yeah, ex- we re- exponentially reduce the unit economic costs and everything that's useful in tech. Uh, but is does the AI just progressively get better with the more resources you throw at it? That's kind of a big unknown. I, I kind of doubt it. I think we will see inference drop really quickly in, in price, but there's an opportunity for I think these kind of like crowdsourced hardware platforms that are token incentivized physical networks to provide the resources to do inference at scale globally and training as well. And that could be really, really cool. So I think Render is probably, I think,
0: working on something like that, um, if, um, if not already. Um, the other thing is, uh, I remember over the summer when everybody was um, getting ultra bearish over everything, um, and one thing that stood out to me was the amount of de- developer activity in Solana, right? It was it was a true north for me when I was looking at it. It's like, this is fucking insane. You know, it was trading at nine bucks or wherever it was. And this massive developer community was remaining vibrant. Your hackathons just seem to grow and grow and grow. I'm not trying to be this. This is not a Solana promotion piece, but it just, you know, I I just observe it. And you guys are just doing an astonishing job with getting people to do stuff. Well,
1: I think it's really, really hard to build a blockchain and you have to optimize for cost, right? Like the cost of transactions, cost of state, uh, throughput and finality and the size of the network. And like we've, I think, been pushing on all of those fronts and it's a huge engineering effort and we've done pretty well. Like I think it's the second largest Uh, smart contract platform by um, node count so like validators in terms of validators so there's massive decentralization a lot of throughput very low fees and developers see that as kind of an unlock to do something that they couldn't do before and that's really really important you know like it's really really hard to sell to devs you have to give them like a tool that they can't get anywhere else that's kind of like the key part can you give them something that they can use as like a superpower that they can do anywhere else and uh few technologies do that i think Solana does that with with its low fees that devs can just kind of like okay very very cheap fees fast transactions what are the applications that i can build there you know they kind of start you know thinking about really cool things and that that's i think the stickiness is um it's not because the chain is like has super great developer experience. Like, it, in fact, like the joke is it's like eating glass, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's because like the sacrifices that we had to make to to like make the chain as, that fast meant there's more complexity in the runtime, or there's more developers have to do more work to take advantage of that speed. Right? Like, it's not uh, it's not easy to build something really fast like in, in software because of how complex the hardware is. You have to actually like write the software as a very thin layer on top of these very complex CPUs with multiple cores and big little architectures and caches and all this other stuff. (laughs) Like if you really try to make the system fast, you're exposing a lot of the hardware design that's now become very complicated up to the like application developer. And that means that they have to do more work, but that is actually I think an advantage because that speed is really
0: important in, in crypto. So when you're looking out strategically, where is, I know you're an, an anything chain, but if you think strategically, is your focus on consumerization, i.e. mass market or infrastructure, where Where do you think the really exciting future lies? Yeah, I'm.
1: well, like I naturally like gravitate towards things that have, um, like, first of all, it's an ecosystem that's kind of, people are, Going in every direction, every which way. Yeah, a company launched real estate on Solana. It's not a use case that I would, have, would have thought of because how often do you do real estate transactions, <laughs> right? But they like the the they want a nice user experience for their users, so they want fast transactions. That means that like when we pick a use case, that's really depends on that speed and throughput and like large decentralization, it actually solves a problem for a lot of use cases that I haven't thought of. So the stuff that I gravitate towards is actually like, you know, central limit order books, like making sure that information in the system is synchronized as fast as possible, at close to the speed of light as possible around the world and as fairly as possible. That's a very, very hard problem. And it has very strict, you know, financial requirements and like has it has these like guarantees that are really, really hard to provide and um, takes a lot of work to get there. So like dance is like the an, a perfect example of that. If we wanna have spreads on chain on Solana in these central limit order books that are as tight as, a, you know, Binance or CME or whatever, the network has to be a hundred times faster. Uh, the block times have to shrink to the point where we're competing with physics, where light is synchronizing around the world as fast as Solana, right? Like at that point, we will be competitive with CME with Binance. So to me, that's an exciting engineering problem. And I see there's real value creation there because it now becomes an open platform that's competing with like the biggest centralized financial institutions. That's really, really cool. But if we achieve that, like dialect sticker packs now move even faster right you don't even notice like the signing experience becomes very slick the users like devs can build very delightful web3 experiences for their users where the users are not even like ever bothered by the fact that they're using crypto and that's what could lead to mass adoption
0: and how are you how are you dealing with or thinking through stuff like music video all of that stuff that requires larger file sizes different things? Because it's obvious that it's gotta come, right? Because everybody needs it that way. So I think a layer one doesn't need to be a storage
1: network. There's been awesome investment in engineering there from like folks like Filecoin, Arweave, Genesis Go. Genesis Go is a homegrown Solana one. They've done a really good job of of providing really cheap storage. In fact, I believe we're moving from like AWS to these networks for storing like the Solana data set, the copies that we have. So like that technology I think is is awesome. And I think all the rich data that you're gonna get from user created or now AI generated should go and be stored in like something like Filecoin or Genesis Go. Um and Solana itself is there um is the metadata layer. It's just tracking who owns what. And that's a very important layer. You know, that's basically where vast majority of the work in like a big web two company comes from is working in the metadata layer, not the object storage.
0: And are you seeing people moving in the direction of these big consumer applications? I mean, I mean, the monster is like you know we've seen how big YouTube is. We see how big you know Spotify is. All of these things where you know these big cultural phenomena, music and video and stuff, are huge. Are you seeing people starting to understand that all of this can go on chain and it can create a different set of outcomes, or well, not yet?
1: Not yet. I wouldn't say yet. I don't think there's anything close to a competing TikTok or YouTube and Web three, even though I think the technology is there to do it. Um, you have to convince creators and users that
0: it's worthwhile. I kind of think it needs to come from the Web two companies themselves. You know, is they're they're going to have to learn to destroy themselves. You know, I knew the guys at Google pretty well, and they were all scared of disrupting themselves until. Microsoft came and pressed the nuke button and they're like, fuck, we probably don't have an ad business anymore. We need to, you know, and then they'll be less scared of web three because they were so scared of it because of it. So I feel like there's lots of web three teams in all of those big web two players. And maybe. I'm very skeptical.
1: I, I think, um, these businesses, the VPs there see like, real revenues, right? They make billions of dollars from advertisement and all these other business models. For a company the size of Google or Apple, they have to see a billion dollar businesses in Web3. And we're just not there yet. There's no like way for them to run a playbook and get to a billion dollars or acquire somebody that's making a billion dollars in, in Web3. I think the likely outcome is that like OpenSea, Magic Eden, the marketplaces that have real revenue right now. Um, I don't know how profitable they are, but look, you know, let's hope that they're very, that they're somewhat decently profitable. They should be the ones that now go to the next level, reach out to creators, and like start establishing like these pipelines, and then Apple or Google acquires. <laughs> that that's like the more likely scenario of how the a big web web two company gets into web three. But even that, I think, is still a ways out. Reality, I think we probably need like 20 companies the size of OpenSea Magic Eden for one of them to get to that next level.
0: And the other thing I've been thinking through is obviously the digital ID. That's that's one missing part that we need to operate across all of this system, and particularly with AI and all of that. How are you thinking through that, or what are you seeing?
1: The zero knowledge proofs to generate, I think, kind of secure digital kind of attestations. Um, I think those are already there. Um, so you can do that. It's the adoption that's the hard thing. It's the adoption of incumbent players. So the the problem I think is that like, the way that the laws are written in the United States for like, you know, uh, OFAC checks and things like that is if you're, every, every person, every participant, right? Is responsible to do their checks. They can't outsource them. So you can't rely on somebody else's checks to do that, which is why like every every time you onboard, you do another KYC check, just super annoying. Um, I would guess that that might be fixable someplace in the world where they kind of a bit more forward thinking on the consumer experience, maybe in Europe, they'll just be like, okay, everyone, you can all use a single layer. This is how that layer is defined. And then it'll get
0: adopted, but. Yeah, if the KYC layer can be governmentally run then it's then it's zero knowledge proof behind that it kind of works potentially
1: act requires an act of congress right so (laughs) the timeline on that is who knows
0: so (laughs) so that is my other question is is what is going on in the us regulation wise it's just it's just using it's really confusing (laughs) it just it feels like there's a bigger agenda here that we're not really seeing what's your take on the whole thing
1: uh, if a democracy is not a shit show, it's not a real democracy, <laughs> right? Uh, I think that that's the real the real truth of it. You know, there's a lot of different opinions uh, in the US on what crypto is, where it should go, but it's slowly like I'm actually pretty optimistic. Um, in the conversations that I've had with like folks in Congress, uh, they. There's a bunch of them that get it. They get the benefits of transparency and decentralization and all of that. Um, And they're looking for ways to actually do something substantial. And uh, my guess is there'd probably be like a stablecoin bill this year. And that could be a big unlock. Like if we could actually build businesses on top of USDC and more companies could issue their own stable coins like USDC, right? Fully backed, collateralized, you know, like you can actually start seeing the digital dollar adoption like globally. like
0: Yeah, re- really interesting. I spoke to the team at Franklin Templeton, right? It kind of feels like a boring old asset manager. Uh, I mean, they're running nodes all over the place. They've tokenized a, a money market fund. I'm like, well, that's a stable coin. They said, it's a stable coin when we get the regulatory approval for it to be so.
1: Yep. So like if that happens, I think you will actually start seeing currency competition uh like but like u.s dollar will probably start competing very heavily on the consumer side with currencies around the world i just like it's a huge opportunity for like the u.s to cement its influence around the world and it would be a shame if they just shot themselves in the foot like if <laughs> like and like let somebody else do it and it's much harder i think for the the uh, China or Japan or any, even the Euro to establish itself as like a kind of a dominant consumer currency. I think it's just much, much harder. And like, if U.S. just waits too long, it'll eventually happen. Somebody will like do the right thing, pass like laws and like get their currency digitized and it'll be in every consumer obligation. I mean, yeah, I mean,
0: I mean, the world exists with some magical thing called the Eurodollar, which nobody knows about, but it's it's a multi quadrillion <laughs> yeah. dollar market that's kind of unmeasurable. But it's the movement of dollars offshore outside the United States and it's gigantic. Um, it's probably the world's biggest marketplace. And all stable coins are a fractionalized Euro dollars. So somebody in the Philippines can buy, you know, fifty cents worth of of Euro dollars, that they don't get access to the dollar system. So it's a huge deal. And the U.S. is going to have to cement its role because if not, somebody else will take it. Yeah, it would be such a shame. <laughs> <Just> like... <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So what, final question, what else is exciting for you? It's like you've got a lot going on. I don't know how you keep up with all of this, but good thing is of being open source everyone's building on top of it. So you're not having to run all of this stuff. But what's getting you excited? Yeah. Um... Probably like Fire Dancer has
1: been like the coolest thing watching, so it's a team out of Jump Crypto, um, it's like led by the you know, chief scientist, <laughs> like Kevin Bowers. Uh, they're building a Solana validator from the ground up, um, written in, rewritten in C and C++, so optimized to the hill. And they're doing, a, I think, a really, really good job building it the way I wish I could have had we had infinite resources and in time. Uh, so it's really cool for that team to kind of see the start and end of the maze and be like, okay, this is, this is the, 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 the design is okay. The implementation can be improved like, you know, a hundred different ways and they get to do it right. And um, some of the performance numbers that they're releasing and the demos and stuff have been astounding. So like they're building the components and their target is can the system handle 10 gigabits worth of throughput? Uh, which is a couple of million transactions per second. Um, And everything so far seems to point to, yes, and this is on commodity hardware. These are like Intel chips. You can buy off Amazon. This is not like anything special. No FPGAs yet or anything like that. Um, So that's really exciting. And I think once they're done uh, and we start to see it in testnet and then upgrade to mainnet, that could be, I think, another step function for performance and cost. It It could get us to that, like, holy shit, there's an open network run on commodity hardware that can give us,
0: like, spreads as tight as Binance. That would be, I think, really, really cool. Fascinating. Listen, <laughs> um, there's so, um, so much going on and uh, there's a definitely a lot going on in Solana. So well done. Keep your head down. And let's keep going. For sure. Thank you so much. Yeah, re- always appreciate talking to you. Okay, as ever, quite a technical conversation with Anatoly. But the point being is that There is a huge amount of activity and innovation going on within Solana, and I think that's the key thing. If you think about network effects, it's not only the number of people who use the network, but it's the interconnectedness, the applications layer on top. And you can see that Solana has a very robust applications layer, second probably only to Ethereum itself. And that's why it firmly remains on my radar screen as we see how it grows out. I'm also really interested in the mobile phone. Now, I'm an Apple user. Would I get rid of my Apple phone, almost impossible. Could I have a second phone to navigate my Web3 world? Yeah, I'm actually very interested in that. And as Anatoly said, it's the build out of the first iteration before it kind of opens up for the broader Web3 world and we can finally have that Web3 mobile experience to help scale this even further. So super interesting. And let's keep following this stories as it goes along. What's up revolutionaries?
1: Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com
0: and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.